This episode of Pick Up the Six podcast is brought to you by our friends at Onnit. Onnit is a health and fitness juggernaut dedicated to delivering total human optimization to its vast customer base of athletes, thinkers, fitness gurus, and entrepreneurs. Through a wide array of products and supplements, Onnit combines cutting-edge science, earth-grown nutrients, and time-tested strategies to help people reach peak performance. They've got you covered with everything you need to get yourself moving. They've got energy bars, protein shakes, creatine, their flagship project, Alpha Brain, and they've also got a ton of great gear. On its diverse lineup of products and supplements are backed by science and research. So here's what you do. You go to onnit.com and you can save 10% today by using the promo code PICK6, P-I-C-K-S-I-X. At checkout, you're going to save 10% off of everything at onnit.com today. Let's get on it. Lieutenant Colonel Bill Fountain is the kind of guy who will go to his grave serving the Lord's mission and working. He's flat out mission driven. From flying combat tours in Vietnam in the F-4 to teaching high school math, he's a high impact man in every sense of the words. And he has more than a few incredible stories to share with you on this episode of Pick Up the Six Podcast. Lieutenant Colonel Bill Fountain, thank you so much for joining Pick Up the Six Podcast. Oh, my pleasure to be here. I am uh, thrilled to get to meet you, sir, uh, and have this conversation today and and dig into your history and, and this extensive uh, career of you, yours and just the, the different places it, it's taken you. We've got some interesting uh uh points uh in that conversation where uh we've got some places and some names in common which i think our listeners will think are very cool and and a great uh thanks to my friend rob cannon your son-in-law who uh who connected us for this interview he's a loyal listener pick up the six podcast a great friend of mine in the f3 space uh a true high impact man a navy man himself uh and but i've got an air force man Yes. with us today. So first and foremost, sir, just thanks for taking the time to join us and, and chat a little bit. Yes, my pleasure. Looking forward to it. So where where do you reside? Where is uh, Lieutenant Colonel Bill Fountain calling home these days? Well, we, we're, uh, we're blessed to be on Lake Norman, uh, right here in the little town of Cornelius, North Carolina, just north of uh, Charlotte. Uh, it's a growing little area. Uh, it, sometimes it's outpacing the, the road system, mm-hmm. but, uh, it's a very pleasant area. We, uh, we're blessed, uh, with, uh, fairly, fairly good, uh, weather compared to what we'd had up in, uh, in Maryland. I, mm-hmm. I, I know that much. Uh, so, but, but we really enjoy it here. Where are you from? Well, I was, uh, born in Mississippi, uh, in Marie in Mississippi, uh, eons ago. And the, uh, uh, at that case, we lit, my dad was starting to get into the army, excuse me, into the air force. Uh, he spent some time as a, an enlisted in, uh, England during WW2. And I was born in 43, which means right there at the, the, yeah, the ending part of, uh, of WW2. And then we lived there in Meridian for, you know, for several years. And then the Korean war came along. He was called into the his guard unit was called into the uh, the air and air. I mean, the air, his guard unit, which obviously became from an army to an air corps. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were they were recalled and uh, sent to uh, Korea, and then he decided to stay in the air force. And so, I have we have moved around a lot. Uh, I was born in Columbus, Mississippi. <laughs> Oh, is that right? Wow. That's a pilot train base, right? It was. They were flying T-38s and all those at the time. My dad was uh, uh, was going through pilot training and then in his early Air Force career, uh, before we went off to England, he was flying F-111s in England uh, at Upper Hayford Air Force Base. But yep. in 1981, I was born in Columbus, Mississippi. And, and for those listening, it's about an hour and a half from Meridian, Mississippi. Where, right. where you well, were in fact, my, uh, my college was at uh, Mississippi State University, University of Mississippi State, yep. which happens to be in Starkville, yep. which is just uh, east of, excuse me, west just of west Columbus. Of. Yes, right. Sir. Yeah, and, home and of the College World Series champions. Yes, that's right. That's right. The it's a uh, small world. It, there's there's small world uh, point number one. You're going to hear a few right. of those today, guys. Yeah. How long was your dad's 
military career. So if he's in the Air Guard or in the in the, I guess the Air Force at that point during right. the Korean con- conflict, now you know later known as the Korean War, what was the right. rest of that journey like for him? Well, he he went he's uh, I think it was around thirty two years of duty. Of course, he had in prior enlisted time, which was with the uh, the guard. So he had, uh, I think, around 28 years of active duty. He retired as, uh, as an 06 uh, at the Pentagon. Uh, and I think it was sometime, somewhere around in uh, 72 or something uh, in that uh, time frame. Wow. So he's still he was still in the Air Force when your career. Yes. Started then, if, if I'm doing some quick math. So. How how did all of that play out for you? Was it pretty evident early in your life that you were destined for that military career? Uh, yes, very. Uh, at a very young age, uh, my dad invited me to come with him, and I was I don't know four or five or something like that or six somewhere in that ballpark. He was going to do a test hop in Meridian, Mississippi, in a B six B twenty six. And so I was able to watch him. He gave, uh, sent me with a sergeant, uh, and I watched Dad take off in the B twenty six, and uh, you know, come back and land after they did their uh, test. I think it was I don't know whether it was an engine change or something. And that gave me yes, I want to do that. That's what I want to do is to be a pilot. And later I saw some F one hundred twos, which was a Delta wing uh, jet. Uh, single engine. I saw that fly over the house one time and life of me, I have no idea where they came from, but I remember saying to myself, that's what I want to do. And uh, even as, you know, very young age, uh, I knew where I, the avenue that I want to go. I, I did not control, control that steering of that. Sure. Because that was all providential. Uh, it seemed like, because, uh, the right doors open at the right time for me, not based on my skill or my inherent ability. It was just doors opened up at the right time. And that's what I ended up doing, being a fighter pilot. Where, where's the journey from that life in Mississippi then to the Air Force? How, how does that journey, do you mind taking me through the process of, of how you- well, Yes, in fact, uh, uh, interesting you mentioned that because I am uh, in the process of writing a memoir or a uh, autobiography. And uh, what what happened was is that when Dad got recalled into the the uh, the Air Force to go ready to go to Korea, he had to get to go through some schools to prep himself to go to Korea. So we ended up for a little bit of time when I was in the I can't remember some like the fourth grade or whatever. We we spent a little bit of time in Wilmington, Delaware, where Dad went to school. Then he we uh, later on that year we hopped over to uh, Scott Air Force Base, which is in uh, Illinois, mm-hmm. and he went to another school for a little bit of time. And then he deployed to Korea for a year, and we went back to Meridian, Mississippi, to our original house that. Uh, that dad and mom had uh, built uh, it was a very small place, you know, two bedroom, uh, one bath. Uh, and after dad came back from Korea, he decided, says, you know what? I have been called up for two wars now. I'm going to stay in the Air Force. So he decided to stay in the Air Force. And from, from uh, Mississippi, we went then up to uh a place called Wadesboro, North Carolina, okay. which is in southern and kind of middle southern North Carolina. And we uh, that was the advisor advisor for the the Army, excuse me, the Air Force Guard there, which had played the role of a tactical support, air support. In other words, they they provided the communications and uh, ground support for doing air operations for, uh, you know, fighters. And, and actually they were a co they were co a co uh, or an agent or an agency of the Charlotte air national guard. So, uh, we spent four years there 
And let's see, I left there in the ninth grade. So uh, my brother and I and mom and dad, then we, uh, after there, we went to Mississippi uh, to, dad was stationed to Biloxi, Mississippi for training to get ready to go to Europe, which we uh, we didn't know that at the time. Hmm. And we spent, uh, oh, almost a year in uh, Long Beach, Mississippi. Uh, started uh, started a new high school there. Uh, was in the ninth grade. Moved into a little bit to the tenth grade, and then Dad got assignment. A we went to Germany, to Spangdalem, Germany, which uh, at the time they were uh, they had the reconnaissance, what they call the RB sixty six, which is a reconnaissance bomber, two engine uh, jet plane. And so I entered the tenth grade there, uh, and. Uh, we the, we had a very interesting experience. The first several months, we were off base in a, in a town called Trier, which is along the Mosa River, beautiful area. But during the winter of, uh, of those years, the you had the low clouds, the fog, the coolness, uh, which is great for growing grapes. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it's... Uh, it's kind of unbearable for uh, a ninth grader or a 10th grader, excuse me, uh, at that, uh, that time. Uh, from there, the, the wing, which is amazing, the feet here, because of Charles de Gaulle, who was the president of, of France at the time, decided he wanted all nuclear forces out of France. By doing that, that rippled or had a cascading effect with the forces in Germany because a lot of the the forces that were stationed in France had to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. So our unit in, uh, so a nuclear unit was picked up in Germany at Spangdahlem and the reconnaissance wing was moved to Alcumbury, England. So there, I, we, uh, we went up there during the summer and then this will be the summer of my 11th grade. So then, uh, because there was no high, there was only one high school in England for American dependents. Mm-hmm. That high school was in London called Bushy Park. At Bushy Park, so I was a dormitory student at Bushy Park my parents were up at uh, Alcabury. Actually, they lived off base in a place called Corby, uh, England. And so I entered my, I don't know how many times now, but entering a brand new school. Uh, I don't know who these people, you know, all these people were. So there we, so I had my 11th grade there at, uh, at I should say, at Bushy Park. My parents are still up, uh, up there near Alcabury. Then the coming, they we found out they built a second high school in England at Lakenheath. Mm-hmm. So in my senior year, I went to Lakenheath, RAF Lakenheath, which is uh, I think they have F-15s up there. Nobody they have the uh, I don't know what airplane they have up there now, but it's uh, it could be the F-35. Mm-hmm. So uh, I went to high school at Lakenheath uh, High School. So I went to five different high schools wow. in three different countries. Uh, so, so this is hard, you know, on a child sure. uh, growing up and meet every time meeting new friends, mm-hmm. uh, saying bye to others, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, starting everything or everything over. And it just so happened though, and coincidence again, uh, our first daughter, Michelle was actually born at the high school there, or not the high school, but at the hospital at Lakenheath, which is you know kind of a small world. It sure is. And then, it sure and is. then I went to college yep. uh, off to Mississippi State, which is like we mentioned before, hmm. which is right down the road from uh, Columbus. What was life as a teenager in this post-Korean War, pre-Vietnam world like? Well, I, I mentioned obviously the moving around, mm-hmm. uh, which was uh, very, very, very often. I think it was about every uh, every year, except for that stint there in uh, in Goldsboro. But as the 
the the thing that I seems to be noticeable the most was that the the acceptance that you had as a military in a place like uh, Waysboro, North Carolina, where you had a lot of farming uh, area, and it was a it, from it was from a, a teenager to get in and accepted into that community was a little. Uh, a little bit more difficult. It, it mm. took a little bit more time to work into that. Whereas when you're in a in a going into a military high school or mili- for de- military dependents, a lot of those children are in the same boat. They are dependents living outside of the United States. Uh, so you become a community a lot quicker. Than you than we did when we were in a, a stateside school as a military dependent moving around. Uh, that's uh, that's what I found. I'm not sure how your experience was, but uh, I found it a lot easier to get to meet friends because a lot of the people saying, "Hey, we're all in the same boat. We're we're, we're moving high school. We're changing this. Uh, your dad came from here." And so uh, there and the you know what, going, in, going into, in between my ninth grade year and sophomore year, we moved from Goldsboro, North Carolina to Northern Virginia. Uh, and my dad was going to be at the Pentagon for three years. So I had the fortune of being at the same high school, sophomore, junior and senior year. But my first friend upon arriving at said high school wasn't an army kid. And I was an air force kid. And we had both yeah. just moved into this massive high school, 585 kids in my graduating class alone, 4,000 plus deep in this wow. massive high school in Northern Virginia. So there was that familiarity of we're both moving into this thing. I'm new to this thing. We got this sort of thing in common. Yeah. Uh, right. Let's be buddies. And, uh, yeah. and we still are to this day. It's pretty incredible experience. All right. Mississippi state. Uh, graduated from college, commissioned directly into the Air Force, and then uh, are yes. you like I gotta fly? Uh, well, the I was very fortunate in the uh, in that time frame at, in, in uh, my senior year at uh, Mississippi State, the Air Force just in, uh, started a uh, program they call the Flight Induction Indoctrination Program, called the F, the uh, the FIP program, which the Air Force funded about 35 hours of private pilot training. Hmm. And so they were, uh, they would be able to get a contractor at a local airfield, which was a grass strip. Uh, and I learned to fly uh, funded by the air force and got my private pilot's license in a uh, tri not a private, but a Piper uh, uh, J no, not J three, but a, a, a Piper. Oh, what was it? It was, I can't remember. There was a tri-pacer mm-hmm. uh, and it had a, uh, I don't know, it wasn't a Cub, but it was a, it was a Piper. It was a single engine, uh, side-by-side uh, sit, uh, seating, fabric wing. And I got my uh, private pilot's license through that. We were, we were actually spin the airplane there, but you know, the, later on in private pilot training, they, you didn't spin an airplane, but we, we spun the airplane, which was uh and uh, we had, you know, we did our cross country and I was able to get my uh, license under the the, the funded time, mm-hmm. which meant that I had a couple of hours left over where I took my brother up flying and I took my girlfriend flying. So uh, all on the military uh, dime, so to speak. So a little so, different than what might be a traditional pilot training slot that we might be. Yes, because yeah, because what was fascinating about it, what they wanted to do is to eliminate, quickly eliminate people to going into the pilot train where you start flying jets, which are a lot more expensive. And that way you can get a better quality sure. candidate. You're to go a little more pre-vetted. You're a little more right, exactly. pre-vetted at yeah. the process. All right. Uh, walk me up to, uh, and there's probably a lot of detail, but from, from graduating from college, from, from joining the air force, from having that license, you know, from basically being ready to go to ultimately ending up uh, in Vietnam and and serving two tours in Vietnam and flying F4s in Vietnam while your dad, right. Is still wearing the nation's uniform. That's right. Dad, dad was uh, uh, exactly right. Cause he was there at the Pentagon for, uh, 
for, for, for many years. But the uh, right, yeah, right out of pilot training, uh, advanced Air Force Base, went down to Davis Montham, uh, uh, picked up the uh, learning how to fly the F-4 in the, uh, in, in the, the back seat. And uh, that's where I met my wife, Rosie, uh, there and uh, spent uh, eight months in, uh, at Da Nang, Vietnam. And uh, uh, I, was, I was able to spend eight months there versus a year because I flew 100 missions north. And I was always, uh, the quickest way that I could get my way out of there was to fly the missions north, which I wanted to do. So, uh, so uh, I was able to get a, uh, 100 missions north and then uh, as soon as we, uh, my 100 missions came over, I went to the States, uh, married uh, my wife, Rosie, in Seattle, and we're off to England for three years at, uh, at Bentwaters, England. Uh, and at uh, Bentwaters, uh, you know, became a uh, aircraft commander, flight lead and all that. And then, then we went to Seymour Johnson, mm-hmm. where you were talking about with your uh, dad, at the 335th. Uh, somewhere in the, uh, in there, the 335th, you know, went to uh, squadron officer school and, uh, and went to IP school, you know, instructor pilot school. Mm-hmm. And that about the same time that Nixon decided, well, Nixon became president, as you recall, Nixon said, Hey, we're going to start bombing the North again. And uh, so I went over uh, the squadron deployed from uh, Seymour Johnson to Yuban, Thailand, and there I picked up another hundred. Picked up another fifty missions north, and that's where the dramatics of being there from the 67, 68 to seventy two were amazing, mm. because we were we were dropping dumb bombs in the first part using the uh, a pepper, which was nothing but a little mark on the uh, the windshield. And for you had to guide the the pilot had to do all the maneuvering to get the plane into the position to drop the bombs. And this was all by estimation. Mm-hmm. All right. But later, when on my second tour in 72, coming out of U-Bahn, we had laser guided bombs. Wow. And the laser guided bombs, they you would have a designator in another airplane, designate a target shine the laser beam on there. We would drop the bomb into a basket, so to speak, to allow the bomb to maneuver to end up to having sometimes like a three to four foot accuracy. And I, sometimes I would drop in a 300, excuse me, a 3000 pound bomb on one wing and a 2000 pound bomb on the other wing. And when those puppies came off the airplane, you knew it came off the airplane. It was like, like, whoa, I just dropped a, a, a load or like a, did you think about this? A ton, yeah. Yeah. You know, like a, a truck coming yeah. off your airplane. So uh, the accuracies were incredible. Yep. So uh, I was flying we, F-4s in Vietnam and the 335th Fighter Squadron, the, the Chiefs. And, right. Uh, you right. guys will remember back to a few episodes you've heard. If you've been loyal, pick up the six listeners. You've heard that fighter squadron mentioned a few times here. Episode four, we talk about uh, Troy Gordy Cope, who was shot down during the Korean War, uh, and he was a chief. You hear from John Quartz, whose father, Major Teak Quartz, was killed in combat during Operation Desert Storm, a chief. My dad, the squadron commander of the Chiefs, 1994 to 1996, Later, the commander of the 4th Operations Group and the 4th Fighter Wing, a chief there, always a chief, and then this chief here today. So what, it's just, I'm almost a little emotional, honestly, sir, just, just thinking about the history of that uh, squadron that means so much to, to my family and I know uh, to you as yeah. well. It's incredible, and I'm excited for our listeners. If I, if, if I may tag on to that. Please. Uh, we, had a, we had a lot of guys, well, not a lot, but there was uh, several guys that got shot down during that up in the, uh, up way up north. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, uh, you know, heartening to uh, obviously lose those guys. But, you know, a lot of them came home also after the, uh, uh, you know, the, the peace uh, agreement. 
And then several years, I mean, I would say, I'm guessing five years back, we had a reunion of the 335th at Seymour Johnson. And uh, I was able to be with the group. And it was, uh, it was mainly the, the group in the squadron who had deployed over there in 72. Hmm. And, uh, you know, we had uh, uh, Joe Ralston, which was a four-star, you know, obviously a four-star general, uh, Troy, uh, Troy, uh, uh, Tomlin, I've given her this, uh, this last name, but anyway, mm-hmm. we had several generals that were, uh, that were, uh, were there in the squadron when we deployed. And, you know, and it was a great to have a reunion. We all actually got a chance to go fly the, uh, F-15, uh, simulator. Cool. Uh, you know, they turn all the secret stuff off for us. Sure, but, you know, sure. You know, uh, other I remember being a young boy getting a chance to sit in that simulator. Oh, it was, it was. Uh, but I mean, for even for an old guy like me, it was, sure. uh, it was a blast because now I fly the Civil Air Patrol mm-hmm. uh, planes, which is a you know a, a Cessna one eighty two with a, a a nice glass cockpit, but still, it's nothing like a yep. fighter. You know, any 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 close calls for you in Vietnam? Uh, yeah, the, the first, uh, first tour, uh, while on final coming into Nang, the airplane took a hit, uh, because they would stand out there and shoot at you on the, coming in on final over the beach, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. so it was, uh, uh, and then the, uh, uh, the, at the Nang, excuse me, at Yubon, uh, uh, got a hit, a hit again, small arms, uh, and in both cases, uh, it ruptured the hydraulic the, what they call the utility hydraulic system, which means that the the gear had to be blown down by a pneumatic system, and you had no brakes and no steering, so that we always took an arrested uh, landing. In other words, we put that great big huge tail hook down and made an arrested landing. So uh, you know that. Uh, so I mean, there were yes, there were some uh, cases where you know our buddies were shot down. Uh, uh, my uh, uh, my lead on one, uh, I was number four, when a SAM came right through our formation and we were uh, on our way home and it blew up right underneath lead, uh, number three and I pulled up and it, all that shrapnel and stuff like that went right under me, but uh, uh, that was a close call. But, uh, you know, other than, but every mission up to Rupac 6, we would average out sometimes around 10 uh, surface air missiles would be shot at us through the formation. Wow. So uh, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was, uh, I guess, pucker factor, you know? So yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, incredible. Uh, guys, uh, not just an air force pilot, not just a decorated <laughs> combat pilot, but, but humbly, a super air force pilot. I mean, you were a red flag pilot. Um, your career, uh, includes, uh, some distinguished honors. I know that later you end up in Iceland and you're basically plane to plane with a Russian plane. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's that please. Yeah. In fact, we had, uh, yeah, in, in Iceland, uh, they actually gave, we got an air medal for, uh, we did 10, I got, uh, 10 intercepts on the, uh, the bear and the Russian bears. And, uh, uh, in fact, uh, on one occasion, uh, my wingman and I chased this bear outside of radio con- radar and radio contact. And my, our wing commander was just livid when I got back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we actually, it was at the same time that the bear was coming down from the, the, the what they call the GI UKIP gap. In other words, between the Iceland and the United Kingdom, there's a gap that would the, the bears would fly down to go down to Cuba, and we would intercept them during that time. Mm-hmm. If they were on the the, the UK side, the UK uh, RAF would uh, do that. But uh, we joined up with a uh, RAF guy who was on the right uh, on the left wing of the bear, and we I joined up on the uh, the right wing of the bear to escort him out of the uh, the area. Uh, on one occasion, though, one of the uh, of the bears racked up, turned into us, you know, and we're up here at, we got three bags, when it was three bags, three huge gallons, uh, three 
fuel tanks mm-hmm. sitting under the wing and we're up at 30,000 feet or so and the airplane's uh, agility is very poor at that altitude. <laughs> and so this guy racks up into us, we, you know, we dive down and then he dives into the uh, a cloud bank and we chase him for a while uh, on radar. Uh, so, and that, you know, he disappears, I don't know where at. So that was a very unusual, because normally we, we join and they wave at us and we wave at them. And then, and, uh, they gave us this camera that I don't know what it did, but the backseater would take the picture of the bear. And, you know, we're told maybe it's the CIA. I don't know. I don't know where this stuff goes, Right. but, uh, they'd send this, you know, stuff to somewhere. Yep. But uh, on one occasion, I was joining with the bear, the the, the four engine turbo, big you know big uh, uh, engine uh, plane, and I had the what we call the CW power on. It's a continuous wave, which is what you provided to your uh, your AIM seven radar missile, and I had that on, but I didn't have the, the airplane armed. It was just that on, and you could see them the guy in the very back waving his hands. I said, you know what? I wonder if I, so I flicked that switch off and he said, yeah, he gave me a thumbs up. So you knew that they knew that I had my, my guidance to a missile armed. So they, they were, you know, a little upset about that. So, uh, but anyway, that's, that's, that's a why, no, it's wild. I'm just sitting here taking it all in. I could, listen to these kind of stories all day. It is a, it's a rather contentious time to be yes. flying in the skies, you know, ab- above our world. When you're talking about this post Vietnam, I mean, it's cold war time. I mean, right. not you know, knowing it, what the Russians are up to or, or what other country up to, I mean, just w- what was that time like? Yeah. I mean, you, you just, when you think about it, because at, at Keflavik, Iceland, you had the, the little detachment of uh, 12 F4s, they were up there patrolling the, watching for the, the, the Soviets coming south in the Bears. And that same base, there was loaded with a bunch of P-3 uh, Navy, ba- uh, Navy pilots with P-3s, which were the uh, submarine you know, uh, warfare. And they were there trailing those, uh, the, the subs, you know, putting out sonic boys and et cetera. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the same time, we were up there doing the, uh, the flying against the Soviets. So there was two, these two factors going on of air and sea all at the same time. It's incredible. It's incredible. So it's just, it's so obviously so many moving parts, but to have been a part of that storied part of not just our, our nation's history, but really our world's history. It's pivotal moments. If you think about the way things ultimately could have been. And, and don't get me wrong, we still have, you know, geopolitical foes and, and issues to deal with, but an incredible time to be that heavily involved in what our military is doing, um, you know, throughout that entire kind of Cold War process. Right. In fact, if if uh, digress a little bit, is that the time in England at, uh, at Bentwaters, you, you know that at, that at that same time frame, of course, there's the war going on in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. There's the Cold War going on in Europe because the the Soviet forces are all throughout the uh, Warsaw Pact that are ready to attack any time. We are often sitting on nuclear weapons for if the balloon, what they call the balloon goes up, right. to have to attack anything that uh, if the war goes. So we are combat ready all the time there in uh in England, and even had deployments to uh, to Aviano, Italy, mm-hmm. to uh, Insular Turkey. Uh, we were deployed to all of those different places, in you know, as uh, to sit alert. Yep. So, yep. Uh, did you end up flying any other aircraft after the F4, or was that the final? That was, the final, that was final it. Final I uh, uh, at Seymour uh, Johnson. Then I got an assignment to. Uh, uh, Langley and uh, and operations uh, there, and I spent four, uh, three years at Langley, and then uh, four years at the Pentagon. When uh, got an assignment, said, uh, "Well, Bill, we're going to send you to Korea." And uh, you know, uh, 
And I said, you know what? I have two kids in, in mm-hmm. uh, high school. Yep. And we what year was this? Th- what year? This was in uh, 80, yeah, 85. Okay. 85. And uh, uh, where were they going to send you to, to Osan or to somewhere else? I can't remember the base. Uh, they, was going to, they were going to give me, as they, uh, what they call it, uh, an assistant, uh, uh, ADO, they call it, assistant operations officer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it was for a non-flying billet. But the key thing was, it was going to be a two-year accompanied tour. And I said, you know what? I went to five different high schools in three different countries, yep. and I'm not going to have my kids do that. Yep. As I, and, as I was going in the sixth grade, my dad got uh, a one-year assignment to go to Osan Air Force Base, uh, pretty close to Seoul, South Korea, and it yeah. was the and it was one year by yourself or two years if you take your family. And he went for right. the one year, you know, by himself. Yeah, I understand that. So that's 1985. So does that is that is that when you wrap up your Air Force career? 1985. Uh, yes, exactly. I uh, I uh, hung up my hat and uh, 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 did it. Well. I was fortunate to do a seven-day op, which means I was able to get my uh, my, uh, retirement. And, uh, I had, uh, gave me uh, some uh, time to look for a job. Mm-hmm. So I was, uh, fortunate to get a, uh, a job at, uh, Westinghouse, which is up in Baltimore, which mm-hmm. was not too far from uh, the Pentagon. Now we, we lived in uh, Virginia, of course, but, uh, so we moved up there, got the kids in, uh, and, uh, Catholic high schools and, uh, and then I spent 20 years at Northrop Grumman as a sure. uh, program manager and as a uh, marketing manager. Let's uh, go back to 1985, though. 13 years removed. If I if I thought I heard earlier, did you say your dad retired in 1972? Is that right? Yeah, I think I, I think that's the time he retired. Yes, 72 to 85. Was he still alive when you retired? Uh yes, he was. Yeah, because uh, yeah, it was because uh, he they went down to uh, Pensacola, Florida, and. Uh, put their uh, time in there for it. And uh, let's see, I can't remember the year that, uh, that he died, but he, he had 20, I think it was about 20 years of retirement. Wow. So dad retires as a Colonel son retires as a Lieutenant Colonel 13 years later. Right. Uh, Incredibly grateful for his service, sir, obviously to our nation and and for yours as well. And it was an incredible career and, and, uh, and the parallels throughout uh, are amazing. I love the fact that we share a little, uh, family history with with some of those squadrons and some of those places. You know, we we moved to Seymour Johnson when I was going into the fourth grade. We were there when I was in the fourth grade all the way through the ninth. So six years because of that one year for dad remote to Korea. So and, yeah. and we brought him back to then be uh, the squadron commander for the chief. So it afforded us the ability to ble- to be in the same place for six years, which as a military kid, uh, different to your journey where they had you bouncing around everywhere. Well, yeah, but we had the same story at Seymour Johnson because I had two tours there with Iceland being in the middle. Yeah. Incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. What was Goldsboro, North Carolina like in those days versus when I was there in the nineties? Was, was Wilbur's a thing yet? Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. All that is because Willis was right off the end of the runway. I remember was. It, it, I was I was the supervisor of flying one time. An F uh, an F one hundred five was coming back. Uh, had to he had engine problems mm-hmm. and he is all all failure had an all failure and jumped out of the airplane just short of well, Wilbur's which was not too far off to the end of the runway. I couldn't for believe the, So for those who li- listening don't know Eastern North Carolina or Goldsboro, North Carolina, which I assume is many of you, but we have a lot of friends and family that listen too. It, it is uh, old school pulled pork uh, style, yeah. Eastern vinegar, you know, North Carolina style barbecue. Joint. Right. It's, a staple. it's a staple in Eastern North Carolina. There's no doubt about that. I, I love every second of this. Retire in 1985, spend life in corporate career world, uh, right? I know you're yes. selling and all that, and we don't need to dig into that too much, but at some point, you get to be in your 60s, and you kind of get some spiritual direction, which takes you in a totally different path. So what happened then? Well, in the, uh, well, there are several things is that uh, when we were still at Langley, uh, uh, I decided to become, well, the, I got a good calling, uh, with the help of my wife a lot to become a Catholic. 
and uh, so uh, became, you know, was baptized and confirmed, et cetera, and became a, a Catholic. And then in uh, about 89, uh, I was that with, with a total surprise because I'm a runner and mm-hmm. exercise and all that stuff. And I found out I had bladder cancer. Whoa. And uh, in 89. And fortunately, through a series of uh, which were God's providence uh, of uh, just absolutely uh, amazing things is that the first thing was uh, I went to a local doctor, got the diagnosis and says, "Okay, you need to get the the bladder worked on right away. You'll probably lose it. And then that evening, my wife said, look, you got to go to the uh, the sacrament of healing. So I went to there, met the priest, and he gave me the blessings, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And he says, you can't do that. you got to go to Johns Hopkins. I hope I don't get, uh, you know, yeah. choked up about this. Sure. But the, the, the uh, chaplain, he, was, he happened to be, the, had been the chaplain at Johns Hopkins, you know, uh, at, the, uh, at the hospital. He says, I know one of the greatest urologists in the entire world. So they sent me there. They did a a workup. So I canceled that uh, thing so that my wife getting steering me to the uh, to see the priest, the priest steering me to go to John Hopkins. The John Hopkins guys then did their uh, uh, two two uh, operations. And then I was going to a prayer group with my wife. And these people started praying over me. And I don't know whether you've ever seen this is where if you prayed over somebody who started fall back and uh, they, they, I guess they call it slain in the spirit. Mm-hmm. Well, that never happened to me. I just, nothing, that never happened to me. One day, I guess it was the next day, I was driving to work, listening to it. I don't get choked up again. Like I said, this is a song. I want to know what love is. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, when I was, I was singing along with the song and I said, I needed, I should be singing that to Jesus. Mm. And I want you to show me. That's right. Yeah. And all of a sudden my body warmed and it was just like, what in the world? I just, it was like you were in heaven. I mean, it was the, the mm. feeling was just, uh, it was an incredible feeling went through particularly the core of my body. And then, and I, I'm still driving, you know, this thing had lasted for a, a couple seconds, I, you know, went to work. And then later on at the, either the next meeting and we, we had, we met weekly at this prayer group. And then one of the, the, the men there was saying that he had a vision that my bladder was clean. And then I went to Hopkins they did the, a follow-up. Everything was fine. And it's been over 30 years since that, that I've, uh, I've been cured of that. So, uh, Whoa. So, it, so it, Whoa. It, it's providential because it's, it, uh, you know, obviously, uh, obviously God loves you mm-hmm. and to give, give me like a second chance, uh, mm-hmm. so to speak, uh, which was incredible. So, uh, Wow. Wow. It's been, uh, and then, you know, uh, after, you know, after retiring after 20 years, cause my mom was, my mom was dying and I was going to take up a job as a, uh, you know, remote, you know, down in, uh, down in, uh, at, uh, Pensacola, Florida with my mom. And then unfortunately she passed away. And then as we had already kind of set the steering and said, well, Let's leave and get out of the Air Force. And that's when I went to work with uh, North, uh, with Westinghouse and that we became North of Crumman. Amazing. I spent 20 years there and retired. I'm so glad you shared that story with us. And I know it's emotional to talk about and to think about that, but I guess about the incredible power of the creator to come in and, and, and right. to heal you and to heal you in that moment, right? To, right. to, to heal you in the moment. Bet you're glad you converted Catholicism, huh? Oh, amen. <laughs> Have a little moment of brevity here <laughs> to bring us back into it. That is a that is amazing. Uh, and for our listeners uh, who lean in on the faith component, um, probably a lot of nodding heads and, and maybe a few a few uh, lumps and throats and and uh, and tears and eyes hearing that story. That's incredibly 
powerful and uh, and a testament to to his ability to deliver you through those hard times. His his ability to to deliver you through a couple of close calls in Vietnam. I mean, you know, yes, the, yes, the, absolutely. The way that it happens, there's no no coincidence. Our listeners have heard us say this, right? There's no such thing as coincidence. It, it's it is yeah. the creator taking action and choosing to remain anonymous about those results. Right. Um, all right, so you get into your sixties. And you've had this military career, you've had a corporate career, you know, you, you've done these things, and you decide it's time for me to become a teacher. How does that happen? Well, I was listening to the radio, and they were talking about the lack of uh, math teachers. You know, they were having trouble hiring math teachers. And I just kept, kept hearing this uh, call. It was a silent call, you know, I, I guess you would kind of say. And it's like every time that the 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 pastor would say something or or the parochial vicar, anyway, any preaching, it was always like they're they're talking to me directly about getting out of my retirement and go do something. And I said, well, you know, that's the last thing I want to do is go teach school. Well, finally, I went to a retreat, uh, and after some spiritual guidance, uh, I said, well. I guess God, God's calling me to do that. So I got my license through uh, University of North Carolina here at Charlotte. And uh, uh, fortunately, uh, I got a, a six-month uh, teaching at a uh, the public school. And and then I got in with the uh, the Catholic school that just opened up and uh, spent nine years there. And then the COVID thing hit and... Uh, uh, and I uh, said, well, you know what? Maybe that's God saying it's time to shut the door on that one, go someplace else. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, what was the most? What was the most rewarding part of the experience of of teaching youngsters over that nine year period? Well, one of the things I I taught geometry was my main course, which was always fun to give them uh, uh, talking to the teach uh, teaching them about spatial reasoning because we we read things and. Uh, in books and in, and and like in uh, even in doing algebra, you do more writing stuff down. But spatial orientation is one of the things I want to do. And it, and of course, as a fighter pilot, you're flying upside down on your back, looking at something. You've got to have that spatial orientation. It's just something that's I guess comes natural. But I wanted to make sure that, uh, kids were uh, learned about that. But the most fun I had was taking the kids on. Uh, these college trips that go, I take them would uh, go to different colleges. One time we'd go all the way up to Pennsylvania. This is from uh, here in, uh, you know, just North of Charlotte, North Carolina. We went up to Emmitsburg and saw Gettysburg, all that area. Uh, and we'd always visit some uh, a Catholic shrine, some college uh, and uh, some historical site. We went down to Charleston uh, several times to, you know, to see the, uh, you know, the battleship, the battleship there, see the, the slave, uh, uh, the slave quarters that they had on uh, one of the, uh, found of uh, the, uh, plantations. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, of course the, the uh, historical parts of, uh, of Charleston. So I really, really enjoyed doing that. And I also taught, started this class in a uh, introduction to aviation where we bought a simulator. So I was able to show the kids how to fly the simulator and I'd always take them up flying, and they loved that. It, particularly in an Aronica Champ, made in 1946, fabric tail dragger. Uh, you know, it's awesome. Wow, got a ball doing that. Yeah, that sounds incredible. And uh, and got a pretty good aviation program going at this school. Uh, yes, in fact, uh, too, right? Right. Yeah, we did. We've. Uh, in fact, when I left, we got a uh, a, a Navy captain who's. Uh, working now uh doing that uh same position uh he's getting his private pilot license so uh that's been uh that's been good the good lord has blessed you with many good years on this earth how do you stay so sharp what's the secret to lieutenant colonel bill fountain's longevity well, I, I do uh i run I, mean, I used to run you know about uh two and a half miles a day but now i'm running sprints uh and uh walking and biking and, uh, you know, doing chin-ups and push-ups and all that stuff. You know, that, I think that's, uh, getting your eight hours of sleep, going to mass 
and uh, eating the right food all, and getting your exercise seems to be the right uh, formula. I was going to say, what, what is your, what's your ethos, right? What is, what's your mission statement? What, you know, what's your advice for those wanting to, to do something similarly? But it well, sounds like I, you summed it up there. They, uh, I, I found that, laced, uh, in fact, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck in one of these other career shifts, which is, I, you know, I, I don't want to really You're do You're 78 yourself. years old. You can just go relax a little bit. I know, but I, I, I feel like I'm called a... I went to the Charlotte Mecklenburg School Board last night, made my speech. There's a whole world of two totally different views of what should be done in the school. It is just absolutely incredible of the critical race theory, sexual disorientation, wealth, envy, and then the more traditional teaching, the basics, uh, staying with the, you know, we're Americans united it's totally two different ways and i just feel like i got to do something about that yeah, so you're feeling called again you're feeling I, that calling again to do that's something. right i don't know where this i have no idea where this path is going to go but just but i'm all ready to start marching off on it so Man. rob told me uh and this is your son-in-law a friend of mine who said this man will continue to go as long as the lord keeps him on this earth doing doing his god's mission and working just a mission mission driven uh kind of guy uh it's been an incredible conversation i've enjoyed yes. it i've enjoyed it so much what, what have we not talked about that you want to talk about uh well i know that we uh you know we were also uh you know trying to instill that into uh children and mm -hmm. into uh, i've been very fortunate with uh rob and uh what we get choked up again or uh, Robert and Michelle, uh, very good, uh, very good people. Uh, we love them all, but uh, it's uh, it's a blessing to see your families, mm. you know, uh, pick up that same uh, religious fervor. Let's say uh, that's uh, that's always rewarding. Yeah, that that's that's legacy building stuff, sir. Right when you see yeah. the next generation. Right. Uh, continue on in those in those values and, and in what they instill in theirs. It's a testament to likely what your mother and father instilled in you, and what you and Miss yes. Rosie have instilled down into them, and then what they pass on to theirs as well. He's Lieutenant Colonel Bill Fountain, flew the F four out of the three thirty fifth Fighter Squadron. Uh, the Chiefs uh, had a distinguished military career. And they continue to give it away later in life as a math teacher uh, until retiring from that. The kids called him Yoda was the yeah. nickname around the school, right. which should give you a bit of an idea. Sir, I have just loved our conversation today. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciated it. He's Lieutenant Colonel Bill Fountain. I'm Brian Jodas. And this has been Pick Up the Six Podcast. <laughs>